Welcome into Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. I'm Bill Pollack. The story of two Missouri women looking to fix the image of an infamous pitcher known for killing a batter with a beanball. Women have been under attack from the pink tax. Kimberly Palmer from NerdWallet will be along to tell us what that is and what you need to do to save money. It's hard enough squeezing your vehicle inside a parking space at Target. You know what I'm talking about. Imagine navigating a garbage truck or parallel parking a rig. That's what Republic Services does in their competition titled the Rodeo Nationals that brings 93 professional drivers from across the country to Arizona for a battle to see who the best eight drivers are. And Jefferson City's own Donovan Laird grabbed one of those eight spots. He's with Cameron Connor to discuss how he got to the competition and his ambitions to compete again. Talk to me about your role at Republic Services because this is such a great competition. And from what I've understood, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it's every two years and they just kind of compile like the best of the best and you guys compete for it. And you happen to come out on top. But before we go into that, can you describe about you, what you're doing on the on the daily drive? Yeah, daily drive. I work in Jeff City as a residential driver. There's five of us that pick up uh, city routes. Um, so basically households with both the trash and a recycle cart. I've got one of the five routes. Uh, I do about 1,000 stops per day, about 500 households uh, per day. And, uh, and while I'm doing that, I also train uh, the new guys that come in that they hire and you know, just kind of show them the rope, show them what to do, how to stay safe out there and get the job done and go home to their families. Yeah, absolutely. And, and how long have you been with the company? I've been here, I believe, 11 years now. 11 years. Wow. Well, congratulations. Yep. And so talk to me through the competition. You know, is there like a certain way that you have to try out or anything like that? Or is it just kind of through like recognition of hard work and they invite you to it? What What's that process like? Well, it starts local here in Jeff City. They, uh, they have a local competition and all the business units do across the country. Um, and you basically have to have a safe record, no accidents for the year. And you just run against your, your peers and your business unit and if you qualify, if you have the top score there, um, you're awarded, I think it's like first place, thousand, second, seven fifty, and third, five hundred, I believe. Maybe two fifty, I'm not sure. But if you win this one, um, they compile the scores from each uh, area throughout the United States and then they take the top scores from those and they take the best of the best and they throw on nationals in Arizona. All right. Fantastic. And if you're just now this is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. I'm Cameron Connor. We're here with Donovan Laird. He is a professional driver for Republic Services, and we're talking about national competition that Republic Services puts on called the Rodeo Competition. That's Road-EO Competition, where basically these professional diver, drivers duke it out and kind of get deemed <laughs> who the best is. And as we get into that competition, Donovan... Walk me through it. How did you get invited? Because it's down in Arizona. I know that they put it on every two years. And what was that like? Oh, man, it was amazing. Um, I wasn't sure after that local competition if I was going to qualify or not. Um, you know, they just told me that I had a pretty high score. I would probably make it out there. Um, and then it took, uh, I'd say, probably a month for them to compile the data from across the country. And then they finally let me know, no, you made it. You're going to Arizona. And that was amazing because... You know, I've heard stories from other drivers that made it out there, and it's it's just an awesome experience. And I was excited, you know, see what it's all about and try it myself. So, what were some of the obstacles that you had to do to compete for this? So it's basically an obstacle course, a skills test, and it's timed. Um, there's cards, <clears throat> like there's five of them set up in a straight line, uh, separated 
uh, by, I'm not sure how many feet, they've got it all figured, but, and you basically serpentine in and out of all those carts and then you line back up straight and back through them uh, in the same pattern, basically without touching any of them. And you're basically trying to do it as fast as you can as well. Because if there is an event of a tie, you know, with anyone else, then they take the, the fastest time is the one that they take as the winner. So, you know, you're trying to rush, but at the same time, you're trying to stay precise. Because, you know, any error, if you hit the cart any direction, you lose 25 or 50 points. Uh, you know, it, it can really affect your overall score at the end. Wow. I, can, I cannot imagine being able to move through obstacles with a truck of that size at that capacity. <laughs> if, if you saw me doing that, I think I would, uh, I'd hit every obstacle. I don't think, I don't even, well, <laughs> first off, I don't think they'd let me go in the first place or even let me touch one of those large trucks. So <laughs> that's kudos to you. Yeah. It, it sounds like such a good time. I'm assuming that's just through years and years and years of repetition and practice that you really have to know your truck, right? Yes, you do. I mean, when you've been driving for a long time, you know the four corners of your truck. You know exactly where it's at. You know how far you can back before you hit things. You know your turning radius. That's a big thing out there. Um, and there's more obstacles than just that one. I think there's five or six of them uh, total. There's parallel parking, a backing alley, an offset alley, they call it. And all, all these things are super tight. I mean, it's you literally have like less than a half inch from hitting a cone on each side of your truck in some of them. And so you just got to you gotta use your mirrors and know you know, which way to turn and without hitting stuff. I mean, that's basically the gist of it. But over the years, yeah, you learn where the stuff is on your truck and when to stop. Yep. All right. You're, you're officially deemed the gold star of parallel parking because parallel parking a garbage truck in my eyes, no way. Couldn't do it. Not, <laughs> not even close. I got to give props to you, man. So they, so I also saw that you're one of the eight finalists. So are you technically in like a subcategory of the final? How exactly does that work? Is it different departments or different categories? How does that work? Yes, there's different trucks, actually. I believe so there's four different types of trucks. I uh, competed in side load, which is who does residential here in Jeff City. And then there's also front load. Um, those trucks are the ones that dump over the front and into the bed. And uh, they're mostly commercial. And then we've got rear load trucks, which is our county trucks. They go out and pick up you know, the rural areas and then roll off. Um, they're the ones that drop containers all around town. And so that's your main four categories for trucks. And we've also got the landfill operators, and they drive bulldozers and front-end loaders. That's two more categories. And then we've got uh, technicians, mechanics. And they have, uh, of course, set up for them as well, looking for you know, stuff that's wrong with the trucks and then I believe they set 10 different things on those trucks that's wrong. They have to look for them, find them as fast as possible, and you know, the best. Whoever gets it done, gets it done in the first place. So. You talk about it being a great experience. Uh, expand on that a little bit. How fun was it to basically meet up and compete against people that are a part of your company from all across the country? <clears throat> oh, it was awesome. I mean, it was neat meeting some guys. I met an awesome guy named Jeff from uh, over by Nashville. I mean, we became great friends. Uh, met some people from Florida. Uh, Nevada, I mean, all over the place. It was just cool talking to them and, and talking about, because, you know, we all drive side loads, but there's different types of side loads. There's auto cars, there's Max, there's Peterbilt. I mean, you know, there's so many different kind of brands. So it was kind of neat comparing what I drive, which is a Mac, compared to some of their trucks and the strengths and weaknesses of them and, and just how they operate. You know, it's just so different. It's cool to talk to them and say, hey, you know, here's what I like about mine. What do you like about yours? You know, so that was neat. Okay, great. And then as far as for the rest of the competition, are you ever in, I know that this just wrapped up in February, I believe, but is there, 
like, do you, can you get invited back if you do well again? Or is it like a one-time thing for the company and then you're just put in the Republic Services Hall of Fame? <laughs> like, what, how does that work? <laughs> <laughs> well, well uh, yeah, I mean, next year we'll have another competition, but it'll be local only. Um, and then uh, the, the next year after that, we will have the Nationals again. Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely going to try. Um, I don't know which class of truck I'm going to try for yet. So I think it would be cool to maybe compete in front load next year or in two years. Um, and try to return up there in a different style of truck. And I think that would be neat, but uh, we'll just have to see how it goes. But yeah, in two years, I hopefully can make it back out there. All right. Well, this has been Donovan Laird. He is a professional driver for Republic Services. He is a finalist that won at the Road-EO, so that's Rodeo Road-EO Championship for Republic Services in Arizona. Donovan, once again, congratulations. Thanks for the fun story. And thank you so much for joining us on Show Me Today, The Voice of Missouri. Thank you. Hi, it's Tori DeVito. In every family, small conversations can make a big impact. Like when my dad shared his experiences as an alcoholic. Your honesty about that part of your life gave me a sense of integrity that I wanted to uphold in my own life. I wanted you to know from someone who's been in recovery more than 30 years now, that hard work is what creates success, not alcohol or other drugs. I said it a lot, and I'm glad you took it to heart. Talk, they hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Matthew. Huh? Oh, sorry. It's okay. I just need you to listen to me. I know that a lot of times, Mom, it might not seem like I'm listening to you, but I am. I hear you. And what you say really does matter to me. I mean, let's be honest. No kid likes rules, but I get why we have them. I hear you, and I know it's because you care. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. All the talks we've had over the years, including what you've told me about not using alcohol and other drugs, they stick with me. And believe it or not, they really do make a difference, especially at times that matter most. Hey, want a drink? No thanks, I'm good. So thank you, Dad, for talking and preparing me for what's ahead. Thank you for talking. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Meet Keith, loving dad, board game champ, bus driving pro. I drive 65,000 miles in my bus each year. If people knew what I know, lives could be saved. Like how there are some things I simply can't see. On my route the other day, a car tried to sneak past me and ends up right in my blind spot. I turned slowly, so accident avoided. But no car should be in the blind spot for a 40,000 pound bus. It's, it's our roads. It's, it's our ours. safety. Visit www.sharetheroadsafely.gov. Do you worry about how much someone drinks? Do you feel angry or depressed most of the time? Do you feel neglected or unloved? Do you feel that if the drinker loved you, she or he would stop drinking? If you answered yes to any of these questions, you are not alone. Not everyone trapped by alcohol is an alcoholic. Families and friends are suffering too. Al-Anon and Alateen can help. Call 1-866-200-0223 or visit alanon.org slash help. The United States Deputy Sheriff's Association is a national nonprofit and the largest non-governmental provider of services to law enforcement. The USDSA assists city, county, state, and federal agencies with free safety equipment donations and officer survival training along with cash donations to families of law enforcement officers who perish in the line of duty, college scholarships for the children of law enforcement, a citizen awareness program, and more. For more information on the USDSA and how you can help, visit usdeputy.org. 
This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. Equal Pay Day was back on March 14th, focusing on the pay gap between men and women. Uh, And it's also a reminder... Uh, that being a woman uh, comes with a higher price tag. And Kimberly Palmer from NerdWallet is here to uh, join us to talk about the latest article that she wrote on how to fight the pink tax amid inflation. Kimberly, nice to visit with you again. Hi, Bill. Thank you for having me. Well, what is this pink tax? Explain it. It is an interesting phenomenon. So basically, products that are aimed at women and specifically personal care products like lotions and shampoos, they actually cost more. Researchers have found that they cost more on average than similar products marketed toward men. And so what it means is that when you are buying products aimed at women like your shampoos and lotions, you end up as a woman paying more than um, your male counterpart. And so it's frustrating to have that extra cost, especially considering the fact that costs are up across the board. And so we're all trying to save money and this makes it that much harder. Yeah. You know, I can look in our shower right now and my wife has three or four bottles uh, to get the job done. I have one. It's a three in one. There's there's body, there's hair wash. I don't even know what the third thing is. It's in there, but it it takes care of it. So it seems like there's even more things that are thrown that you have to buy as a woman. You have to buy more things to get the same thing accomplished that I need. Exactly. And that's that's precisely what these researchers found, that when you have products aimed at men, they often are these two-in-one, three-in-one type products, whereas women, we go and buy multiple products, which, of course, the cost of that adds up so much. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I didn't even think, obviously, as a a man, I didn't even think of it, look at it that way. So, all right. So, you've come up with some tips on how women can battle this pink tax. Uh, Your first tip is opt for gender-neutral products. Yes. So luckily, there are some things we can do to fight back against these extra costs. And the first, it it can sound obvious, but basically, we don't have to buy these products. And so as a woman, you know, I can go and buy the three-in-one product instead or opt for the gender-neutral products. Uh, There's nothing about being a woman that says we have to buy, you know, the women-marketed products that have scents like lavender. I mean, just by buying the lavender scents versus the pine scents aimed at men, you're going to end up paying more. And so being a little bit, uh, you know, flexible about the products we're buying and perhaps opting for those three-in-one or gender-neutral products, that can save us significant amounts of money. Yeah. And are those three-in-ones, I mean, do they get the job done for women just as as well as all the other fancy named brand and scents and all that? That is such a controversial question because, of course, you know, it depends so much. And as a woman myself with long hair, I need that, you know, specific conditioner. Yeah. <laughs> so I think it really depends on the person. Uh, but there are certainly some things you can do to scale back, uh, maybe simplify your routine or even just go for the scent that isn't marketed to women. Uh, you know, if you can be flexible just on the scent alone, that can save money. Yeah. I always laugh my wife every time she goes to get her hair done. She comes back with a new bottle of conditioner. I'm like, well, what was wrong with the last one you had? Oh, no, this one will be better. They say this one's better. It's like, oh, <laughs> I, I can relate to that. Yeah, yep, yes. exactly. Um, and then the devil is always in the details. You say study the fine print. 
Yes. And this is very tricky because not only are women's products more expensive, but they actually tend to come in smaller sizes. And so it's hard to compare the prices. Sometimes you want to look really carefully at exactly the size of the product of what's inside that container and also the ingredients, uh, because sometimes it is really hard to make those apples to apples comparisons when all of those ingredients and the size are all different. So you just want to make sure you understand exactly what you're buying. Uh, we're talking with Kimberly Palmer from Nerd Wallet. Uh, she was telling us about pink tax. They're coming after you women, and they're they're charging you more for the same stuff that us guys are using. Uh, and this goes, and this can apply to anything when it comes to shopping, but comparison shop in advance. Yes. And this, I talked to a professor who actually was one of the first researchers to identify this gender difference in pricing. And this research was actually done in the context of car dealerships. And what was found in this research is that for women, if you do research ahead of time, so you can go into the car dealership, just ready to negotiate and being a more informed negotiator, that can help you get a better price. Because if you don't do that, the men do tend to get offered a better price. And this research was actually first done in the 1990s. So I want to mention that because, of course, so much has changed since then. But the researcher has found that it can still be replicated to some degree today. Wow. Well, you know, you do have an advantage over us, uh, ladies, when it comes to getting oil changes. There's always a there's always a women. I don't even know if there are women's. And I remember that, though. There was a time where it was, uh, you know, ladies day where you could get a <laughs> get a break on an oil change. But, yeah, boy, it's amazing, Kimberly. I, I never realized that um, there was so much targeting towards women when it comes to this stuff. Now, this is this is a bold move here. Ask for equal pricing. This one is really interesting and you have to be assertive when it comes to this. But if you are going into a dry cleaners, for example, and you see that the women's shirts are marked up for dry cleaning, sometimes triple the price of men's shirts. And there's all sorts of reasons behind that potentially. But basically, if you have a simple shirt, uh, like an Oxford shirt that you need cleaned as a woman, you can ask for the men's pricing. Uh, and so you do have to be, you know, assertive and it does depend on exactly what you are asking for. And sometimes the women's products do cost more at a dry cleaner. So this doesn't apply all the time, but I still think it's worth asking. So that's a really good tip. And then even with haircuts, I mean, we've all seen that when you go to get a haircut, often the women's prices are so much higher than the men's and, you know, women's hair maybe can be a little bit more complicated, of course. But if you are someone with a simpler haircut or short hair and you can ask for that men's pricing, there's no reason not to. And you could end up saving yourself a lot of money yeah that's you know i mean that's a great piece of advice it's it's just sad though that you have to do that though you know it is yeah. it is and i think it's all about being aware and just making sure you're not caught off guard so you can go in and be mentally prepared to maybe make these requests or negotiate a little bit on your behalf we're talking about the pink tax and kimberly palmer from nerd wallet has her article out how to fight the pink tax amid inflation uh and then you say, know your rights. Well, in California and New York, there are actually laws against gender-based pricing. And so if you live in one of those two states or you're in visiting one of those two states and you notice a difference in pricing based on gender, you can actually report those violations to the Departments of Consumer Protection in those states. 
And then, you know, it's actually illegal. So they're not allowed to do it. Uh, this is something we've seen pop up uh, over the last few years in these states, possibly spreading to other states because other states have actually proposed similar legislation. So it's something to keep your eye on just as we move forward and uh, thinking about these gender differences. Well, that may not apply to here in Missouri, but one final thing that you can do is prioritize your savings. It's so important as a woman to prioritize your savings. And that is partly because, you know, women are expected to live longer than men. We have to really build up our retirement savings and think long term. Uh, and so I think it's so important just to pay attention to these differences in everyday prices and how they add up. So we can always remember to prioritize putting some money aside for the future. I'm going to give you a tip, Kimberly. I don't know if you know about this, but uh, someone that my wife works with showed me about this because I you, like to use uh, lotions. Uh, I like to go to Bath and Body Works. And uh, <laughs> so you get through the tube and all of a sudden it's like, gosh, I'm out of lotion already. Uh, this woman said, cut cut the bottle near the uh, near the spout where it comes out. Cut that. Cut like three-fourths of your, your bottle off and you'll be amazed at how much lotion is still in there that you can't reach when you try to squeeze it out, but it's still in there. You can just put it into a plastic bag and save it. That is a great tip. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So maybe uh, for women out there, kind of help you because I know your lotion is going to be a lot more expensive. So yeah, I, I do that. I get down to the end of mine and I, and I'm always lathering myself up to the lotion that I go through. My wife says, what are you eating it? But um, <laughs> so she found out that tip. So I wanted to pass that along. So yeah, anything to, to kind of help you out here with this pink text. This is crazy. I love it. Yeah. I'm going to try that tip. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Kimberly Palmer, you're the one that always supplies the great money tips for us from NerdWall. Where can we find your stuff? Thank you. I'm at Twitter at Kimberly Palmer and then at nerdwallet.com. All right. Always great to visit. Thank you. We'll uh, talk to you again next month. Thanks so much. This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. Meet Ed, movie buff, animal lover, safe driver. Five years of driving an ambulance teaches you a thing or two. If people knew what I know, lives could be saved. When I see a car trying to rush past the turning bus, I get concerned. You see, when big vehicles turn right, they have to swing wide to make the turn. And that's a lesson you don't want to learn the hard way. When trucks and buses turn, let's you and I wait. It's, it's our roads. It's, it's our safety. Visit www.sharetheroadsafely.gov. If you're talking, they will hear. Why are we getting killed like this? Kyle's not here. Got caught drinking beer in the park a couple of nights ago. Really? Yeah. Zero tolerance. He's out for the season. Harsh. Hey, he knew not to drink. We've made that clear to all of our kids, right? Uh, no, not really. Bill, if we don't tell them what we expect and why they shouldn't drink, how are they going to know? Talk. They hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. You try. All the talks we've had over the years, including what you've told me about not using alcohol and other drugs, they stick with me. And believe it or not, they really do make a difference, especially at times that matter most. Hey, want a drink? No thanks, I'm good. So thank you, Dad, for talking and preparing me for what's ahead. Thank you for talking. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Hi, it's Tori DeVito. In every family, small conversations can make a big impact. Like when my dad shared his experiences as an alcoholic. 
Your honesty about that part of your life gave me a sense of integrity that I wanted to uphold in my own life. I wanted you to know from someone who's been in recovery more than 30 years now that hard work is what creates success, not alcohol or other drugs. I said it a lot, and I'm glad you took it to heart. Talk. They hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. When it comes to vaping, the truth can get clouded. So let's make it clear. Vaping is not safe for kids, teens, or young adults. It's just not. Because vaping can put microscopic particles into your lungs. And dangerous things like metals and volatile organic compounds into your body. And nicotine, the same highly addictive substance found in regular cigarettes. Nicotine can harm a person's brain development through their mid-20s. Affecting learning, memory, attention, and impulse control. And priming the brain for other addictions. Vaping products also come in kid-friendly flavors that can make them appealing to youth. And many kids also use other drugs, like marijuana, in vaping devices. With appealing flavors, high nicotine levels, and lots of promotion on social media. Many kids think vaping is harmless, but it's not. So talk to your kids about the risks of vaping. Because when you talk, they hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Email from school about the incident today. Scary. Tell me about it. Did you have any idea that was going on? None. I mean, you saw Derek at the game last night, too. Did you have a clue? No, but you know, teachers like me, parents, we don't always know as much as you guys do. Kids hear first about what's going on with other kids. Half the time, it's rumors. It can be hard to tell sometimes, but if you're ever concerned about a friend who's having trouble with alcohol, prescription drugs, bullying, violence, anything, you need to tell an adult. Mom or me, a teacher, coach, school counselor, someone you know and trust. Dad, no kid is going to tell an adult about that kind of stuff. I get it, but if we don't know, we can't help. Speaking up about a problem, that's what helping a friend is all about. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. I'm Bill Pollack. Carl Mays was a Major League Baseball player who played from 1915 to 1929 with the Boston Red Sox, the New York Yankees, the Cincinnati Reds, and he ended his career with the New York Giants at the age of 37. Now, his name may not be familiar to you, but you may have heard of an incident that he was involved in on the field in 1920. He threw a pitch that killed Cleveland Indian shortstop Ray Chapman after it hit him in the head. A single pitch destroyed Carl Mays' legacy. And now 100 years later, two Missouri women are trying to restore his reputation. And they're here joining us on Show Me Today. Anne Duckworth, who's a member of the Mansfield Area Historical Society and Museum, and board member Kathy Short. Anne and Kathy, thank you for joining us. Yes, we lo- we're so appreciative. Anne, I'll, I'll start with you. What ties did Carl Mays have to Missouri? Well, Carl May's family moved to the Mansfield area uh, when he was just a young lad, maybe around three or four from Kentucky. His father was a traveling clergy and uh, brought the family here, established church where they actually met in people's homes, uh, raised their family here. His father, however, died young. Uh, I think Carl was only about 10. He was the fourth of eight children. And so the mother had quite the time trying to uh, feed her family. And uh, eventually they moved to Oklahoma near a relative. 
And actually, that's where Carl first uh played baseball. Uh, in Mansfield, what he did was uh, he used rocks to kill squirrels out of the trees and rabbits to provide meat for the table. And uh, Carl and his older siblings had to drop out of school early to get jobs and help the mother uh, feed the family. So those hunting skills back in Missouri kind of helped hone his pitching skills that eventually got him to the major leagues. Yes, it would seem so. Yeah. Wow. So tell me why you're such a a big, I don't know, fan is the word, but what drew your interest to Carl Mays? Well, I'd always heard my elders talk about Carl Mays, the baseball pitcher, the old pitcher, they called him. Uh, I had an old man that lived next door to me that lived alone, and I used to cook cornbread for him every night for supper. And he'd tell me stories that he knew the old pitcher. So I'd always heard of Carl Mays. Uh, It actually was a writing uh, exercise I was doing with a group in Ava, and we were to pick out a character and do a a story. I came to Mansfield, which is my hometown, and met with the newspaper editor, and he got me out the leather-bound book from 1920 when the pitch occurred. No, excuse me, 1971 when Carl passed away, and the article there. So I knew right away, okay, this is the story that I want to dig into. I want to know more about the old pitcher. That's Ann Duckworth. Uh, she's with the Mansfield Area Historical Society and Museum and Kathy Short, a board member. She'll be on here in, in a moment. And, uh, so the way I understand the story, Ann, was that Carl uh, had suffered an injury and then had to learn to throw underhand or what they call a submarine style, which uh, wasn't very common back then. But that kind of made a name for him, just the way that he pitched. It did. Uh, It earned him the nickname Sub. And uh, he and a few others were grandfathered in with the submarine style when it was later uh, chosen that it would not be permitted anymore. But they were grandfathered in and able to use that. The pitcher sometimes described him as it looked like an octopus out on the mound. And it was hard to just judge just where the ball was coming from and what what to expect. And you see some uh, submarine pitchers, uh, you know, Dan Quisenberry of the Kansas City Royals. uh, It was a famous uh, underarm type of thrower. Carl, this is really an odd situation because back then, they didn't wear helmets. Batters didn't wear helmets. And it, it wasn't uncommon for players to get hit in the head. And from what I had read, and at least from tales, you know, sometimes guys would bounce right back up. And there were other pitchers that threw harder than him. But this just caught Chapman in the right place. And and after Chapman died, uh, Carl Mace kind of became public enemy number one in terms of baseball circles, didn't he? Yes, he did. Uh, Carl actually went before the assistant district attorney in New York the following day or two and was exonerated of all blame. But the public court and certainly the baseball players did not feel that way. And there were some who said they were going to refuse to play the Yankees on games they pitched him. Uh, There were some that just said they were going to refuse to play the Yankees. He uh, he carried that reputation for most of his life then, didn't he? Yes, he did. And we feel that that is probably the greatest thing that has kept him out of the Hall of Fame in Cooperstown, which, by the way, his baseball glove, the only one he ever used in the 15 years given to him by his uncle, is on display or can be viewed at Cooperstown. 
That's Ann Duckworth, a member of the Mansfield Area Historical Society and Museum. And I want to bring in Kathy Short, a board member of the museum. Uh, Kathy, what's the display like with Carl Mays? And, and what's the hopes of, um, of having this display and, and sharing and maybe teaching a part of history that uh, old baseball fans may not realize about Carl Mays? Well, I think one of the most interesting things that is tied to the display is since uh, Carl went into the Missouri Sports Hall of Fame in 2009, we actually have people come to our museum that are there just to see the Carl Mays display. They have come to Mansfield, which is out of the way of many other places, and they are there just to see about Carl's career and his life. Um, you know, so many of us in the area, just like Ann said, our grandfathers were friends of Carl's. Mine definitely were. My husband's grandfather played on the Mansfield Grays, which was the team that Carl brought the old Yankee uniforms home so they could wear them, uh, so they would have matching uniforms. We have one of those old Yankee uniforms on display, and we also have an old Giants uniform on display in the museum, as well as many other pictures and artifacts that have been loaned and or donated to us by various members of the Mays family. So the display has grown from one small display case to two very large display cases. Kathy, uh, Ann had mentioned that he was born in Kentucky and then moved to Missouri, but then ended up going to Oklahoma where he really started taking a baseball. But what drew him back to the Mansfield area, though? I think Mansfield was always home to him. His mother did move back here. And with his first World Series uh, winning money, he built her a very elaborate in a place called Prairie Hollow, which is about... I don't know how many miles south of Mansfield, about nine miles, we would say. And uh, it's a very isolated area. So this home was quite prominent amongst the smaller frame farm homes of most of, of the farmers. Also, Carl loved to hunt and fish. And, of course, Mansfield in our area is right on the Gasconade River and Bryant Creek. So there are many and ample opportunities for both hunting and fishing. And one of the stories that great nephew, excuse me, Terry Buchanan has has told us before that we, we love is he said every time Uncle Carl would come home to see us, he would bring his, his waiters, his fish waiters with him, and they would be full of baseballs and he would give them out to anybody who wanted them, especially the children. And I think Carl always had a very soft spot in his heart for children because with his neighbors, the Blankenships that lived just down the road from them, they would take old cotton mattresses and draw bullseyes on them. And Carl would tie those between two fence posts. And that's how he taught the area children how to pitch. That's Kathy Short and Ann Duckworth joining us from the Mansfield Area Historical Society and Museum. And just to give you some stats on Carl Mays, the pitcher, in his 15-year career, 207 wins, 
only 126 losses uh, and an ERA, an earned run average of 2.92. And, you know, as I, I look at his stats and this incident um, where Chapman was killed happened in 1920, I, I look at Carl Mays and his numbers. Uh, in 1920, that year with the Yankees, he won 26 games. And then the following year with the Yankees, he won 27 games. So 53 wins of his 207 came around this incident. And, you know, this was an incident, ladies, that had never happened before in baseball. And I I just I can't imagine something tragic like that, how it affected him, but how he was able to block it out and move past it and still have his two best seasons around it. Do you think, I mean, if you look back, and I don't know if you maybe have any historical perspective on this, but did he kind of block that out, that that moment out that allowed him to focus on what he needed to do with the New York Yankees? And did that have a negative effect as to how people thought he reacted to this incident? Yes, people thought that he did not have remorse. Actually, the more I dug into Carl's life and his growing up years and the hardships they went through. Carl only knew how to play baseball. He didn't have other jobs. He didn't have anything else to go back to. His wife, his first wife had died young. He had two small children to raise. And baseball was how he could support his family, regardless of the incident that had happened. And or Kathy, how did he live out his final years of life? And uh, and how did this uh, was he able to come to terms with uh, with that moment on the field? And um, I think he always felt that he'd been slighted by Cooperstown. Uh, however, um, after he finished with the majors, he played a couple of years in the minors. He then was hired uh, by, <laughs> of all teams, the Cleveland Indians as a baseball scout. Wow! And he he worked hand in hand with Joey Sewell. He was also a baseball scout for Cleveland. Now, Sewell is the shortstop that came in after the Chapman incident. I think that says a lot about the Cleveland organization and how they felt about the incident. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. That's fascinating. Ann Duckworth and Kathy Short from the Mansfield Area Historical Society and Museum. How do we get to the museum? Where are you located? We are located at 101 West North Street, or just off the southwest corner of our park square in the center of town. What are your hours? Are you open on the weekend? We are open from 10 until noon and 1 until 3. We will open on April 17th for the spring, this uh, this spring. And um, we are open Monday through Saturday. Oh, that's great. Well, listen, if you ever want to take a weekend trip, baseball fans, and learn more about the life of Carl Mays, uh, visit uh, the great town of Mansfield. And uh, Ann Duckworth and Kathy Short, thank you for sharing this story. Really learned a lot today. And uh, baseball fans, I'm sure, appreciate it. And uh, hope to get down there sometime to see you. We hope you will. Yeah. We'd be glad to give you a tour. Yeah. Yes. Thank, thank you for the stories. Appreciate it. This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. Hi, Grandma. Can Nina come over for dinner? Sure. I've been meaning to ask you, what would happen if someone offered you a drink? Grandma! If anyone ever does, I want you to say, no, I have too much respect for my family and I don't want to get in trouble. 
I promise, Grandma. They really do hear you. For tips on what to say, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. That's underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. This message brought to you by SAMHSA and this station. Meet Ed, movie buff, animal lover, safe driver. Five years of driving an ambulance teaches you a thing or two. If people knew what I know, lives could be saved. When I see a car trying to rush past the turning bus, I get concerned. You see, when big vehicles turn right, they have to swing wide to make the turn. And that's a lesson you don't want to learn the hard way. When trucks and buses turn, let's you and I wait. It's, it's our roads. roads. It's, it's our, our safety. safety. Visit www.sharetheroadsafely.gov. Women hear a lot about self-care these days. Advice on ways to relax, exercise, eat healthy, and more. Those are all great. But one of the most important self-care steps we can take is making sure we're financially secure later in life. That means saving money for retirement. It's never too late to start. And it's the kind of self-care that brings peace of mind that lasts. For small steps you can take to save for retirement, visit WeSaySaveIt.org. That's WeSaySaveIt.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Ashiro's work is never done. You care for the house, the kids, and our future. We're so grateful for all you do. Now, it's time to care for yourself and save a little more for retirement. A free three-minute online chat can give you the personalized tips you need to boost your retirement savings now. Visit aceyourretirement.org today. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Do you worry about how much someone drinks? Do you feel angry or depressed most of the time? Do you feel neglected or unloved? Do you feel that if the drinker loved you, she or he would stop drinking? If you answered yes to any of these questions, you are not alone. Not everyone trapped by alcohol is an alcoholic. Families and friends are suffering too. Al-Anon and Alateen can help. Call 1-866-200-0223 or visit alanon.org slash help. The United States Deputy Sheriff's Association is a national nonprofit and the largest non-governmental provider of services to law enforcement. The USDSA assists city, county, state, and federal agencies with free safety equipment donations and officer survival training along with cash donations to families of law enforcement officers who perish in the line of duty, college scholarships for the children of law enforcement, a citizen awareness program, and more. For more information on the USDSA and how you can help, visit usdeputy.org. All right, we're back on Show Me Today. Since Amendment 3 passed in November, sales of recreational marijuana this year have been through the roof. Now, lawmakers are proposing open container laws for health and safety reasons. Republican Representative Kent Hayden talks with Anthony Moribeth. This is a bill, uh, actually, my two sheriffs in Cowell and Audrain County came and talked to me back before the, uh, the initial petition passed on the ballot and said, if this passes, we have some concerns uh, about a couple of things with the, with the bill that was written, the initial petition that was written. Uh, one concern, how do we keep it out of the hands of children when you transport it? And the other was, how do you keep it, if it's an open container, if you had open container without sealed from the odor, you effectively have eliminated most of our drug dogs that we have in the state because they are trained to hit on marijuana and other drugs, trained to hit on both. Well, the theory is that, not a theory, but the reality is, if they hit on marijuana, you could claim, or if they hit, 
did they hit on the marijuana or the other drug? And the claim could be is, hey, they hit on the marijuana, so your search for other drugs is illegal. That's a concern that we have. It could really interfere with how we how we effectively find with the drug dogs other other drugs that are still very illegal. So that was a concern they had is that unless you have a drug dog trained in last year who's only trained or trained where they don't hit on marijuana, then these others could be rendered pretty well useless. And, you know, it does raise an interesting case because normally a constitutional amendment would be over one or two pages and and then it would have, then the legislatures would regulate based upon the Constitutional Amendment with laws. This is 37 and a half or 39 pages, uh, very, very long. And it was actually designed to legislate as well as to constitutional change. It, it looks so. Your bill aims to prevent both intoxicated drivers and, and child poisoning. So would this bill... Uh, help and impact those issues? That's the intent, is that we reduce, you know, the bill, the, the amendment says you can't openly smoke in a car uh, and drive. But, you know, what What about transport? And basically the bill just describes it has to be transported in a child-proof container and in a, a container, odor-proof container. Now, in the hearing, several things came up and said, well, how, how are we going to do that? What is that? What constitutes a child-proof and a tamper-proof? Which was a good point. Uh, after the hearing, several people brought up and said, well, if we had the, if we would have the uh, marijuana distributors basically sell it in a odor-proof and a child-tamper-proof, that would help take care of part of the problem that we're looking at. Now, uh, again, we have to get that done. We're talking with Republican Representative Kent Hayden of Mexico, Missouri, here on Show Me Today, talking about his proposed open container law for marijuana. It's uh, obviously is in the wake of the fact that now in March of 2023, uh, at the time of this recording, marijuana is now recreationally legal. And one thing that immediately crossed my mind is if you go to some of these cannabis slash pot shops, let's use an example here, say edibles. Um, They already come in a container. So in a situation like this, you're talking with something that isn't necessarily in a container, like just open buds or things like that? Yes, that, that would be true. And, and again, that container that only comes in it would have to be childproof and, you know, odor-proof, which they may well be. I, now, one thing that came out last week, our purchases of recreational marijuana has far exceeded what anybody anticipated. And if you have any distribution points in your town or area, uh, it's amazing what the traffic difference has been. I mean, it went from two cars to 20 cars or three cars to 20 cars almost all the time. So it has been, there's been more sold. In fact, I'm told now that there's probably a supply problem because we're only 60 distributors of it, but there's probably a supply problem because we haven't been producing enough from these 60 producers to fill the demand. So it is it is a big deal. And, and again, unusual is that the bill does attempts to do a lot, a lot of what normally would be legislation that the that the state legislature do. And again, it was written 
There were things that people who paid for it, about 12 and a half million, I understand, basically bought through the Constitution Amendment the business to their door and, and aimed to keep it there. So. And obviously, in a situation like this, for the sake of clarity, you're not looking to overturn Amendment 3. You're just basically saying, hey, this should have been included in uh, Amendment 3's original document from the very get-go, right? Well, no, it is not. Amendment 3 passed. It's a constitutional amendment. But again, the problem with the way the bill was written Normally, all the things that they wrote in it, the other, other than probably two pages that said recreational marijuana is, is now constitutionally approved, they went much further in things that we would typically go through the legislative process on. And then we go through, you know, it, it, somebody would write the bill. They, they made it, put it on the docket, and then it had to get assigned by the speaker to, a committee, and then the committee chairman has to agree to hear it. And then the, if it passes out of committee, uh, which most things have some amendments, like this this bill will have coming out of the committee that heard the other day, uh, then it would go to the rules committee, and then it would go to the House floor, and then it would be transferred to the Senate and have to go through the same process again. So a lot of things... There's, just like I said, there's no perfect bill, and you can have a bill you think, well, this is this is kind of a basis covered. And once you get into hearings, things come up that you hadn't anticipated or thought of, and that's what's happened in the legislative process. Well, in this, they attempted to shortcut that to say, oh, it's only the way that we've written it. And let's be honest, how many people read 37 and a half pages? And I had a lot of my constituents who were strong marijuana supporters encouraged me to encourage everybody to vote against the bill because, hey, it's still limited supply to the same 60 uh, grow, grow businesses, which, you know, actually different, how many different growers, because people got multiple licenses. So we probably, you know, we only had 25 or 30 different companies that had the grow license because they got multiple licenses, which people didn't understand on the medical marijuana. So there's a lot of pieces of this that we need some legislation on, if nothing else, to clarify. And this, this bill does raise the question, can, can the legislature supply things that, for public safety that are concerned in a bill that makes an attempt to have hands off from everybody? That's probably going to be a, that could be a court question also. It's called House Bill 295, and you can keep in touch and keep up to date with the latest on that piece of legislation at house.mo.gov. This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. Show me today.